Welcome back to New Mexico Rising. Today we're going to have a conversation with Angelo Arona. He is an entrepreneur, business consultant, and generally community leader. We're going to have a conversation about his journey coming up through the nascent, now established New Mexico brewery industry. We'll talk about impacts that the COVID uncertainty has had on the industry and the industry's health as a whole. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of New Mexico Rising. Today, we're going to pump the brakes a little bit on the overtly political conversations that we have. And we're going to talk about the business climate here in the land of enchantment. So part of starting New Mexico Rising really was to, you know, be frank about the aspects of the things about about aspects of things that are holding the state back. Um, but occasionally we want to highlight people who are actually trying to help New Mexico rise. So you know, not necessarily by the political means, but just being a part of the community. So today we have a conversation with my boy, Angelo Arona. He's an entrepreneur, of course, a businessman. Uh, he's a consultant and a basically community leader as far as I'm concerned. Uh, homegrown New Mexican, graduated from Los Lunas High School like my daughters and my, and my wife. And of course, he graduated UNM. And of course, he's been in the nascent New Mexico brewing industry. I, he had small stints at Tractor Brewing. Uh, Marble Brewing, and he's been doing some other business endeavors, man. So, I mean, he uh, he's a consultant. He owns a primary, uh, his, one of his primary businesses is something by the name of Prime Lines, which is basically something he uses to clean those icky keg lines that, you know, we all have, particularly at small business level. He is also now a managing partner at Honeymoon Brewing and a certified beer Cicerone. But we're not going to talk about that right now. We need to do some banter and some ranting. Now it's time to bring on my co-host, your favorite guy, my favorite guy, Helen Witzman. Reveal yourself. Uh, I, I guess I've been revealed at this point. <laughs> you did. You did good. You did good for that. Uh, no, I'm, not great. I'm, not, I'm not really great at the open. So um, that's why I, 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 I basically try to like. Hey, Sean, do this because you're much better at it than I am. Yeah, but do you know how nice it was? That's what I told you today is that I was just leaving myself in the comfortable bosom of tea, daddy. I felt like a Joey inside of the kangaroo's pouch this morning. It was wonderful. I got out, did some walking, lifted some weights, did some swimming, yeah, that's you know, healthy. took care of my, my uh, physical health for a change. Yes. Physical health as well as a little bit of mental health because there's something to be said about a nice, vigorous workout to get the mind going to get absolutely the flowing I, I feel great this is the best i've felt in you know a while so thank you You should do that more often sean i probably should i probably should so all right well before we bring on our guest um, yeah. which i'm much more anxious to talk about but let's get the ugliness out of the way yeah. about uh, <clears throat> so we're going to basically talk about like you know business impacts of the reinstatement of the mass mandate here in the state of new mexico as well as the fact that now Certain events and certain industries are going to start requiring patrons for events and, of course, workers for some industries getting the full or at least partially vaccinated status. Um, case in point, so the state fair obviously will now require everyone who is to attend to have a COVID vaccination or up-to-date vaccination, right? Or basically proof of vaccination as well as, uh, or I guess in lieu of the vaccination, a, a negative COVID test in the last 48 hours or something silly like that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there are unintended consequences to this. And one of the stories that I read about this morning that kind of made me a little upset was the fact that like uh, the 4-H uh, kids, right? The kids that are raising livestock and like are showing that livestock over at the state fair, who are children, um, most of which not eligible 
for the uh, vaccine um, are going to be unable to attend the state fair this year. Um, kind of sad. Um, of course, uh, these are more rural New Mexican children and stuff like that who don't necessarily either need to have the COVID vaccination or at the very least are not eligible. You couple that with the fact that there was a balloon and music fiesta or festival down in White Sands that was outright canceled. That was supposed to happen, I think, over the Labor Day weekend. That will now not happen because of these mass mandates. However, this weekend, the Pride Festival required no proof of vaccination to attend. Well, what? <laughs> first of all, I'd like to give big ups to Daniel Chacon from Santa Fe, New Mexican. Uh, he's done a really great job, I think, on covering all this stuff. He's a guy I met personally, and he does he does seem to go down the middle of the road with his reporting as much as he can. I know that everybody was really mad at him because he said that some of these protests that were happening at the Roundhouse and in Albuquerque had large crowds, and everyone was, like, say, very angry at him about that. But, you know, back to this. This is, this is New Mexico. Um, 4-H and raising animals is a huge part of the rural lifestyle here. And even within a lot of the municipalities, um, for them to lay down these mandates like this, they, they knew exactly what they were doing. I'm, I'm done sitting here pretending like they're just ignorant. No, they're not that ignorant. Um, and, and the, you know, of course, of course, of course, you're not going to get them at the pride festival. You know, and, and, you know, when you talk about the White Sands balloon fiesta, the interesting thing there was, was that it is that Nora Sackett did say that, you know, there was nothing that said they had to cancel it or anything like that. So, you know, there's just a lot of speaking out of all sides of the mouth. And let's be honest about the mask mandates. I haven't seen much compliance. I actually, I can say that through anecdotal evidence, evidence when I took my wife out here for the weekend, by the way, guys, I am married, um, that <laughs> we didn't really run in. I mean, there was people kind of compliant, but you, you can tell like it's, it's a resistance that's waning. Well, yeah. Like there, there was, there, there, no one was really out to get you. So we, me, me and producer Baca decided to go to uh, our old friends at Backstreet Grill when, you know, the first day that this mask mandate was fully instituted, right, or to be or went into effect. And, you know, we had some beers and we talked to uh, our Mr. Cordova, who was the owner of that establishment to see like, all right, well, have you reached any, you know, have you had any pushback or, or anything so far, right? Well, he says, no, this is necess not necessarily like, you know, this is the first day. There's not a lot going on. And also, mm -hmm. by the way, uh, police and, um, you know, those who would enforce are a little too busy, particularly the police, a little too busy dealing with running gun battles in the streets of Albuquerque. So I, I you know, so he, he had other more other pressing concerns like there's the supply chain issues. Uh, mm -hmm. They don't have as many labor challenges, but they definitely have supply chain issues, which basically causes them to be closed a couple of days a week because they can't get food deliveries in a timely manner. Um so what would, I mean, I guess what more damage would another mass mandate even, even entail or even vaccine mandates from a health department perspective and stuff? People are having a hard time finding people and people are having a hard time staying open as is because of the logistical, you know, so God, I guess uh, silliness. Challenges. Supply chains. Challenges. We'll call yeah, them think, challenges. I'll call them challenges. I'll call them difficulties. I mean, you know, this is a family show, so I could call them something else. But the simple <laughs> fact of the matter is there's other challenges going on. But if we're not going to kind of end this, right, if we're not going to start saying like, hey, maybe we should, you know, pump the brakes maybe on this aspect of the public health, you know, fiasco that we're in, Shout out to the mayor of Roswell, who basically said, well, right, we're, you know, we're not going to we're not going to force this. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you need kind of more mayors, more municipalities, more sheriffs saying like, yeah, you're right. We're dealing with other issues. I know particularly down south, they're dealing with, you know, crime and, and you know, crime and border issues. And then like just trying to, you know, get their industries back up and running and get people to even come to certain parts of, of that, that those parts of New Mexico. They have got no time to sit there and be a Gestapo for do people have vaccines? Do people have masks? Do people have that? They're too busy trying to get labor in the door, customers in the door and deliveries so they can even supply 
those customers. Well, I mean, you know my general attitude on this. I think I've said it plenty of times. When it comes to these public health orders and the reinstatement of them and everything else, compliance is death, but I don't want to black pill everybody too bad. Let's have our guest on because I got I, no, it's yeah, no, no, no. We're gonna talk. Beer We're day. gonna talk business impact beers. <laughs> Welcome, my friend. Uh, how are you? Welcome to New Mexico Rising. What's going on, man? I appreciate that. That hey, thanks for uh, having me on. I think uh, it's a great sunny beautiful sunday afternoon in new mexico so what better uh, day than to talk about how we can uh improve the state of our state yeah <laughs> so, so yeah oh no no that you go ahead <laughs> okay all right man so introduce yourself to our audience give us your origin story i know i i've known you for years um from you know the days at Tractor to, you know, you working at like Marble and then kind of then striking out on your own. Give us the origin story of Angelo here, man. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I'll start with the easy part, which is uh, I started in beer um, in 2008. Uh, before that, I was a I was one of those guys that would go to doctor's office and and try to sell them on the latest and greatest uh, new pharmaceutical. So uh, I was glad in 2008 to uh, move on from that part of my life and get into something that I love, which was beer. No doubt. So yeah, being a local uh, local boy and, and New Mexican, I started off uh, in Los Lunas with Tractor Brewing Company, um, basically as jack of all trades there, um, doing sales, doing deliveries, doing uh, helping with some of the brewing. And so it was a great way to cut my teeth and um, learn everything about the industry that I had no idea existed. Um, after that, I moved on to uh, Marble Brewery. So a lot of folks are probably familiar if you're from New Mexico with Marble Brewery. It's one of the um, you know most uh, prominent names in uh, the New, New Mexico brewing industry. Uh, so I was I went there in 2010 as a uh, a sales manager. Uh, I spent four years there in their distribution department, helping to build up distribution throughout Albuquerque and the rest of the state, and even taking the beer uh, over over a couple state borders to Arizona and uh, Colorado. Uh, really proud of what we did there. Uh, stayed there for four years, and uh, after four years there, um, I was at a crossroads of my life. <laughs> so I just basically decided you know, do I want to continue to work for someone else or do I want to try to build wealth and uh, and a future for myself and my family? So that's when I started Craft King Consulting, which is a small consulting group of, of just one, just me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, so basically I started in 2014 um, and it's still going now. And uh, I just help New Mexico's brewing industry with sales and distribution, sales, uh, marketing, uh, anything to do with with how to um, maximize the potential of, of your brewery in New Mexico. And so I, I've done that for, for seven years now. So when it comes to these um, challenges in the supply chain, what is the most significant one you're seeing right now? Yeah, so I can talk specifically about my industry. I know that, uh, especially during the pandemic, there was some unforeseen, of course, uh, very early in the pandemic, there were some unforeseen uh, supply uh, chain bottlenecks that a lot of the breweries that were packaging had to deal with, um, mainly because the people like myself uh, or like Thaddeus that uh, love to go out and drink beer on premise, that was not available anymore. So many, many, many consumers had to switch to, uh, you know, having packaged beer and drinking uh, in the comfort of their home. And what that led to was an, uh, an excessive and uh, exorbitant demand for aluminum and specifically mm. aluminum cans. Um, and so that was one of the huge impacts on the New Mexico brewing industry and nationwide for brewers that they had to try to find their way uh, and navigate through. Um, I will say that the that has eased a little bit now. The uh, industry has has been able to catch up a little, but there is still feeling a couple of pain points when it comes to procuring uh, cans uh, for bottle for canned product. What about sure. raw ingredients and stuff like that? I mean, was that an issue? Was was I mean, we we I've seen the industry go through, you know, uh, 
infection of hops in the north in the northwest uh god i I don't remember how long ago that was but that that was a disruption um and then you know like just getting just procuring like raw materials did they run into any issues with that uh i know that uh early on there was uh you know in in midsummer last year there was i did hear uh some news about and read some news about uh supply chain issues with raw materials but that was more related to shipping uh, delays. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we saw that throughout every industry. And uh, to a certain extent, I think we're still seeing that now um, in your, you know, in your conversation uh, with Sean, just just before I came on, I heard you talking about how, um, you know, Backstreet Grill is having an issue trying to get uh, ingredients, food, right? And, mm-hmm. and I think that that is kind of having a ripple effect to many, many industries. Yeah, I mean, that's across the industry. I mean, even with, uh, you know, my main money-making business, plumbing, we've seen, you know, the supply of PVC, copper, all that stuff just kind of diminish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a client who works in the manufacturing industry, and he wasn't able to get steel, these raw materials. So it's it's kind of a mess across the board. A lot of it is shipping. But then when you talk about major manufacturing facilities, the real problem they had was keeping up with the guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that affected things. I mean, obviously, even in my industry where you could only have so many guys working on a particular floor of a building while it's being built, and all of these things have slowed the process down immensely. Yeah. And prices rise because of that. And, you know, that, with everything else, I mean, it's kind of like a vicious cycle. It is. I agree with that. And, you know, we're seeing that on a, uh, you know, a more macro level with, uh, you know, just the simple idea of inflation, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. the goods are costing more when you, when you go out, goods cost more. And there are many, many factors that contribute to that. So why are we looking industry wide here in the state? Right. I mean, the first this is one of the few industries I would in New Mexico, really, that was like truly homegrown. Right. I mean, you were here in the nascent days. We mm-hmm. we all know, you know, about Mike Campbell and and the mm-hmm. like and 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 all the guys that kind of got this thing, whole this whole thing started and stuff like that. What's the health overall of the brewing industry here in New Mexico when it comes to consumers, when it comes to sales, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'd be help, helpful if I gave a little bit of background. I think, you know, um, pre-pandemic, um, that was the last uh, sort of uh, economic impact figures that I had seen for the brewing industry in New Mexico. Um, and we were north of $350 million in, in economic impact for the state. Um, so although not not the largest industry in the state uh, by any means, we, we, we do have a pretty significant economic impact. So um, in the brewing community, that's something that we've always been proud of. Um, I suspect, uh, based on just anecdotal evidence of what I've seen uh, in the last couple of months, that um, we're going to pick up where we left off. Um, you know, personally speaking, my business of servicing the draft beer lines um, has has dramatically increased uh, since uh, restaurants and bars were allowed to open back up. So um, there is a a very bright light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I think we have to, as a state, walk a a fine tightrope um, that that is uh, aware and cognizant um, of public health, but also aware and um, and concerned with the health of our small business community. So um, I think, you know, finding a, a balance there is going to be uh, what the silver bullet to solve that issue is. Um, the other thing is where there's, you know, during the pandemic, we had some uh, breweries actually open. Uh, we had, uh, we're up to over 80 in the state last at last count that I saw. And I know that there's some more in planning now. So I will say that, uh, you know, although 2020, uh, we were not alone uh, in the fact that it was a very challenging uh, business climate to operate in. I think that, um, you know, what I've seen is that people are coming back out, they're supporting local businesses, they're supporting small businesses, and they're ready and willing to spend their money locally. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it is that the economy is ready to grow. And it's hard to call it growth if we're just trying to get back to previous levels. Right. But I mean, really everybody wants to just get back to life on some level, whether you're talking about the people um, that have, that have supported most of the mandates, you know, previously, but, but now it seems like we have entered into a point where the only people who want to continue shutting the economy down 
are those in state government? I mean, do you know any business owners at all who really think it's a good idea to shut down again? I think, uh, you know, the, my personal relationships with other business owners, uh, I think they have a, the ones I've spoken to in any depth uh, regarding this subject. They have a similar attitude um, to me. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not for me personally. I know it's not good business to um, to uh, purposefully uh, be an affront to to any mandate that's out there i mean um I, I appreciate and everyone has the right as a business owner to take a stand if they feel like that's what they want to do um but i i try to be reasonable in the respect of saying you know this mass mandate i have to be able to navigate that right so in the world of small business there are roadblocks every single day that you have to figure out there are problems that you have to solve um, that's been my approach and the most, most of the people that I've talked to just in my circle are, are, you know, cautious about, um, putting their customers in danger, of course. Uh, but they also uh, want to see a, uh, a reasonable amount of support from the, from the government as well in the, in the sense of, Hey, we understand this is a, a difficult and challenging climate to operate in. Uh, these are the tools or these are the resources we have for you to keep operating, uh, but also keep your um, keep your customers safe. So I guess the question, the next question with the kind of you know, play off of that a little bit is just like, what are you hearing from business, uh, your, your business colleagues here about what the state can do better, what the state shouldn't be doing with the state? You know, you know, what what support are they looking for from the state? Yeah, I think, you know, the programs that are out. Um, now, you know, especially, and, and, you know, I know I'm talking a lot about 2020, but, you know, in 2020, the, the state had some training programs that they, they were pretty quick to roll out um, as far as, you know, for restaurants and bars, you know, how, how do we train our staff to be COVID safe, but, you know, so you could get a COVID safe uh, certification. Um, so I think that that was a good resource. I think what I'm really seeing, and I think that I'm not alone in this, most people would probably degree, uh, agree, excuse me, uh, is that there's a certain amount of, of uh, I, a COVID exhaustion or fatigue, right? Uh, business owners, uh, we already face a very challenging environment, and that's when it's the best of times. Um, and so I think that, you know, what we need as a business community uh, to do is come together, uh, agree that, you know, yes, we need to keep all of our customers safe, but we also have to find a way to keep our doors open. Uh, there's not um, a lot of businesses, I don't think, in New Mexico or anywhere else, probably in, in the United States and the country, that could survive a second year-long shutdown. You know, if if you were planful enough and and frankly lucky enough to survive uh, 2020, um, you know, we, we need to be able to have a fighting chance at surviving 2021 too. And so I think that there's there's some of those programs that are out there. I don't know how many um, small businesses are taking advantage of them. Um, I can say, you know, from my latest endeavor, which is an investment into a brewery uh, in Santa Fe, uh, we've been very aware and cognizant of why don't we give people the individual freedom to choose whether or not they want to do A, B, and C. Um, and I think that that's been our approach, but also being hyper aware of doing everything in our power to keep our customers and our staff safe. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a fair balance. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that maybe just maybe a lot of the measures that were developed as part of the certification program to make us COVID safe, or at least make a business COVID safe. Um, I, I, I didn't hear anything about, um, and uh, I don't know, just, just correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. If I'm speaking out of term. Were there any, uh, businesses that, you know, kind of studied the science and looked at like, all right, well, maybe I need to ventilate better. I know a lot of businesses actually started doing a lot of outdoor stuff, which is awesome. We're we're very um, blessed here in New Mexico that like this eight months out of the year where you can kind of sit outside, I mean, barring the winds, but you can sit outside and you can have a drink, you can have some food. Sure. I mean, were there any other thing? I mean, you know, it's we, we've learned that wiping down surfaces is, you know, other than for food safety, 
in you know in 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 you know mitigating the bacterial like spread and infection were really mm -hmm. worthless when it came to this. We we were told a lot about you know we you know I, I saw a lot of companies getting smart about you know maybe installing maybe more uh, UAV light, um, maybe bringing in fans for ventilation and stuff like that. It would seem that for indoor activity, particularly now in the winter when you know things get windy and you know and kind of kind of terrible mm -hmm. that we would need to think along those lines to yeah. allow indoor dining if we can you know if companies were or, or businesses could maybe have installed or maybe use some of the uh etl funds uh, or e, with the etl or edl i think the e eidl yeah. e eidl funds i'm yeah. sorry to like install better ventilation better lighting Sure. Ionizing, you know, you know, ionizing light and stuff like that. Like, so is is are we hearing anything like that? Those types of guidance, like that kind of guidance coming down from the state. That way, we could like not necessarily get back to. I mean, we can maintain mass mandates indoors if you want. That I I I will I will not digress and go into a rant about why <laughs> that's worthless. But the simple fact of the matter is, if people are you know feeling willing, I don't want to go back to twenty five percent capacity indoors i know most businesses don't want to go back to 25 percent capacity indoors particularly when we get to late october are we hearing anything from the state or anything or is there any lobbying group or any business organizations that are kind of pushing these types of mitigation measures that will keep customers um, objectively keep customers safe i personally have not heard of any um any effort like that i uh, um i will tell you that i've heard um that you know, several of, of my peers uh, in the hospitality industry that have talked about, well, what can we do about ventilation? What can we do about, uh, you know, some of the technologies you just referred to? Um, I think a lot of them, especially the restaurants themselves, are in a catch-22 because um, they're in a situation where they're just getting caught up yeah. uh, from being down and out um, over the last year. And so now, I mean, and being in a constructive construction trade um sean you, you you can attest to the fact that something like a new ventilation system is not cheap you know no it's not cheap and it's become more expensive again that's the thing that's annoying to me about all of this we're talking about these public health measures and these public health measures are designed by people who then go and mandate that through osha <clears throat> and they have my plumbers in ditches in 100 degree weather wearing masks it's asinine mm -hmm. sorry it's asinine no yeah mm -hmm. I, and then I, everybody I, gripes about how expensive things are. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, it seems if you're, you know, if you're concerned about people's health, uh, in that case, it, it would be uh, counterintuitive to have someone in 100 degree weather with the mask on. I, I, I agree with that. OSHA says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, to answer your question, that I think that, you know, the thing that I've seen is that people are, are more than willing to do whatever mitigation factors that they have access to Absolutely. and what's holding them back is trying to figure out, well, where does the $30,000 come from? Right. Yeah. Um, where does the 20 or 10 or even five sometimes come from? Um, I can, I can just keep up with paying my staff again. I can just keep up with uh, covering my rent again. Right. Yeah. Um, and some of those EIDL loan, the EIDL loan, uh, what a lot of folks that haven't, uh, that aren't familiar with those types of loans, they put uh, very stringent restrictions on how you can spend that money a lot of the time. Yeah, um, I, I did. I remember that, right? That, that's yeah. all part of the oh, the oh, the the umbrella PPP, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Was 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 a lot of stipulations, and it yeah. was really a lot of punitive stipulations on yes. asking your customer, asking your your labor to come back. However, you're still the the government at the same time we're giving them two to three hundred dollar top ups on top of state unemployment benefits. And yeah. so are you gonna be, you know, the evil boss to rat them out and say, hey, come back to work? Do you really want that person to come back to work now that you've taken away essentially a gravy train? Right. It, yeah. And then there's like, oh, I guess my yeah, next question, not to not to jump all over the place. How many of the people who you were dealing with, small businesses that you were dealing with, even had access? easy access or like at least uh, less impediments to access to that PPP and those, those loans. Mm -hmm. Well, I will tell you from personal experience, you know, I, I applied for PPP and EIDL. Um, they did not necessarily, the first round for sure, they did not make it easy. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was, I won't say difficult, but it was a lot. 
there was a lot of paperwork. You had to have, uh, you know, a lot of history uh, with your business. Um, I think, you know, the intentions were good. Uh, they wanted to make sure that people weren't, you know, starting up an LLC and uh, drumming up some paperwork and able to get, you know, some, some free money, which I think, uh, you know, I've read stories. I think it, I think it happened anyway. <laughs> I've read stories over the last you know, six months or so that, you know, people are starting to get jailed over uh, fraudulent activity with the PPP loan. Um, but I will tell you, um, the average the average guy off the street, right, um, would have a difficult time trying to uh, navigate the PPP loan and the EIDL. Uh, there were some um, resources out there. So, you know, our bank was was really great. We use a local credit union and they're very supportive and they kind of helped us walk through that uh, that uh, application process. The Small Business Association was also another resource yeah. that people used. Um, so, but the average guy, if they didn't keep good records over the last couple of years, they probably weren't going to get a PPP loan. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what they asked for was they wanted to see payroll records and everything else to ensure that the amount they were giving you reflected the payroll you had. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, the hidden problem with all of this, you know, gifting from the federal government is they're essentially sending the bill to our great, 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 great grandchildren. With a couple, three more grades. But yeah. And we talk about inflation and we talk about inflation um, and we're, we're kind of going off the cliff here um, because I hate to break everybody's bubble, but once hyperinflation hits as a result of all of this um, government generosity, that bill will come due. None of it's going to matter. I mean, quite frankly, when hyperinflation hits, these loans are going to be very easy to pay off because they'll be worthless. Yeah. No, it's kind of it's one of the more it's it's the hidden minefield that we're going to run into here in the next couple of years. This that money is going it, it here's it. Here's it. Here's what I have to explain to the audience as a whole. That money that had been allocated over the last 18 months is not money that is spent right away. It's money that will continue to be pumped into the system over the foreseeable future because how appropriations work. And by virtue of the fact that you're dislocating actual working capital with just printed money is going to have adverse effects going forward. Um, It's going to cause a, a transitory inflationary effect that will ultimately readjust price levels to the tail end of that inflationary effect. So things are going to get more expensive. Um, So yeah, I, I, I feel the pain of the small business owner. I feel the pain of the, you know, because I love the brewery industry, fell in love with the brewery industry when it was smaller about 10, 15 years ago. And I could actually go in and talk to these, these, uh, I call them the, uh, the forefathers of at least the beginnings of the industry here in Albuquerque. It it was this thing that I I love the most. It's something we built ourselves. It's not throwing money at Hollywood. It's not throwing money at Sir Richard Branson to bring in, you know, a spaceport or anything like that. It's not throwing money at Top Golf. It's not throwing money at these other things. It's something that was built here, locally. Guys, you know, home brewing that you know got a little bit of money and or had a little bit of money or had a rich benefactor who was doing something in the state and they just built something. Um, from canteen brewing to marble to tractor to you know the Santa even the Santa Fe Brewing Company, which birthed a lot of these kind of brewers and these superstars that we know in it are building this industry. It just kind of saddens me that um, it was it's we're making it just much more difficult. I mean, they've tried numerous times before this pandemic to like raise taxes and make it more difficult to like even start one. Um, and I, I just see the state always, always at every Every turn is kind of making it uh, difficult, but enough of my soapboxing here. Let's <laughs> let's talk about one more issue of dealing uh, when you know pertaining to small business as a whole with the brewery industries, particular is that's crime. So as I alluded to before, when me and producer Baca went to uh, Backstreet Grill, um, you know one of the anecdotes was, well, you know, there's no real enforcement of this mass mandate because at you know. APD and, you know, this, you know, New Mexico state police are like in these running gun battles in the streets of Albuquerque because crime, you know, is bad. Um, Talk to me. I mean, you have a kind of a sense of the business community. You talk to people, stuff like that, particularly in Albuquerque. Is crime a big concern? Is crime having some adverse effect on business? Give us your take. Yeah, I think, you know, 
the main thing that I've noticed, especially with the business people that I've talked to, is that crime has a huge psychological effect on people. And so, you know, it keeps customers away. It, it, uh, it's not good for, for business in any sense. Um, I think that, you know, I've been fortunate to not personally know any businesses that have been affected, uh, you know, very adversely uh, by crime. But I know that obviously there are many, many, many out there. Um, you know, I've been terribly concerned and, uh, you know, try to be empathetic for the folks that are being affected by this, uh, by this, what frankly I see as an, a new sort of emboldened crime wave that's happening in uh, specifically Albuquerque over the last, you know, it seems like two, three, four months. Uh, it seems like every day we have it's not just a burglary, it's a burglary with a shooting or a burglary with, with multiple people injured. Um, and so I think that from a business perspective, um, the only thing we can do is take the approach just like we do with COVID or anything else, and that's to mitigate uh, any risk that we can while also maximizing uh, our commitment to the safety of our staff and, and the customers that patronize our business. Um, some steps that we've taken, um, you know, at one of my companies is, you know, we've done security in, in the brewery now, uh, which wasn't, it wasn't there before. So we've tried to step up that. We've tried to be diligent about having protocols in place about, you know, money handling and um, making sure that everyone understands that these are all steps we need to take to keep each other safe and our customers safe. Yeah, I think that that's something we just see in general going forward is that uh, people are being squeezed more and more. Mm -hmm. And especially when you talk about low income people, they're they're going to feel the squeeze the most as this stuff continues. And, you know, uh, naturally crime will go up. I know that, you know, theft has been pretty rampant um, in the construction sites and everything else. So, you know, this is this is what we're dealing with. I think most metro areas are experiencing this right now, the majority of them across the United States. So it's no surprise that Albuquerque, who's never been particularly crime-free, <laughs> yeah. would also see an increase. Yeah, no, no. We, we've kind of uh, lived up to our reputation as the Wild West over the last years, you know? And I think that, you know, this is obviously a bigger conversation, mm. um, but, you know, the poverty level in our state contributes uh, very, uh, it contributes a lot to that, I think. Um, we also, as you both are fully aware, have uh, some issues with substance abuse in our metro areas. And we're not unique in that, uh, Sean. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that, you know, there are people uh, in our industry. I think, you know, the three of us can count ourselves as people that try to see the, the good in the state, um, try to be part of the positive influence. Um, you know, I have, by the time we open the brewery, we're going to have you know, between my companies, we'll have 15 or so people um, employed. So, uh, you know, it's one of the most, the proudest things that I have um, that, that I, I stand on is I love the fact that I'm able to help people in our state earn a living. Um, we, we pay well and we try to compensate people and treat them very, uh, you know, with respect and dignity. I think that is something that, uh, you know, Americans, New Mexicans and everyone else, as we've observed the, uh, the corporate culture uh, that pervades things. And so they get this attitude in their mind that business owners are these evil, rich, you know, monsters. When in reality, small business owners are a lot like yourself, where really it's employing other people and mm -hmm. making sure they're happy and that they are fulfilled mm -hmm. in their life. That's, that's really the joy of running a small business because it sure isn't the paperwork. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. yeah, yeah, it's not an easy endeavor. Sorry to cut you off that. It's no, not, go for it, brother. It's not an easy endeavor. And I I try to be um, cautiously optimistic with anyone that comes to me for advice on new business ventures. And I and I always try to mentor people and uh, contribute and try to give back to people because, you know, there were some people that helped me with advice early on that I think has paid dividends. So I try to return that favor. Um, one thing that I would say, too, is you know, the general public doesn't realize that entrepreneurship, uh, not only in New Mexico, but in the United States is, you know, one tenth of what it was 30 or 40 years ago. So 6% of the population mm -hmm. in the United States is an entre entrepreneur today, 6%, you know, that's pretty low. 
Um, and, you know, so it's a difficult endeavor. It comes with its own stresses. It comes with its own um, uh, problems that you always have to find solutions to. But it also comes with a lot of freedom, which I think mm-hmm. uh, is, is something that I am very fortunate uh, to be able to experience. There really is nothing more American than entrepreneurship. And I think that is something that we're losing in all of this. So message to all you out there, if you're wondering what to do, please go start something. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it, you know, yeah. and it, you know, don't expect riches, right? No. Um, you know, you know, Angela lives up the street from me and not to humble brag. My house is bigger than his, <laughs> but he's the hardest. He's the hardest working man I've ever known. I've seen him working hard for well over a decade. And uh, he's the man when it comes to a lot of that stuff. Let's talk about your businesses, man. Uh, more sure. specifically, man, holler at us about Honeymoon Brewery. Oh, yeah. I, I'm excited, bro. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about this. The, uh, Honeymoon Brewery, um, is a, it's actually a kombucheria. So what we do is our flagship product, product is a, um, a kombucha that is 5% alcohol. So it's kind of a hybrid between a kombucha Ooh, and a beer. Big. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's a hot category. It has been for the last couple of years. Uh, We like to refer to ourselves as the premier hard kombucha um, supplier of the Southwest. Mm -hmm. Uh, So our product definitely has some mystique. It's got uh, great quality and we look forward to having a lot of people uh, come and try it. Um, The little history on the brewery, it's been around since since 2018. Um, you know, pre-pandemic, they had a great um, tap room, and that tap room is in the same place in Solana Center uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, they shut down uh, when, when it was required and just haven't opened uh, post-pandemic. So we're actually going to be opening the tap room for the first time post-pandemic next Saturday, August 28th. Right. So there's a shameless plug. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that's the way it should be. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're no, we're here to help small business. We're here to help, you know, people who are trying to help New Mexico rise and stuff like that. And yeah. So now we're gonna ease into the geek portion of it. Uh Sean, you can now recede to the back. Oh, I'm just, yeah, I'm just yeah, uh, uh, no. Okay. Good beers. <laughs> what are you seeing out there when it comes to breweries, when it comes to microbreweries here in New Mexico that have you know, because you are a man of very sophisticated uh, taste <laughs> because you are a beer Cicerone. You're, um, you're setting set the bar too high for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yo, what do, yeah, so what do you like drinking, man? What's 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 out there, man? I know I have my favorites, but I mean, I want to hear from you because, you know, it, actually, I need you to come down to the house and like sample some of my crap and let me know where I'm screwing <laughs> up. So, yeah, what do you like, man? I'll be happy to do that. Um, so I think, you know, there are some stalwart examples of uh, excellent quality beer that that have kind of uh, always been around. And I think, you know, when people ask me what what kind of what beer do you like, what breweries do you like? You know, one of the ones top of mind for me always is La Cumbre. Um, they have excellent beer. It's always quality. I know uh, the brewing staff there and um, they yeah, just. They, yeah. And they do not uh, compromise on quality. Uh, so you can always be confident that you're going to have a great beer when you go there. Uh, some of the other breweries uh, that I think that are up and coming is um, there's a small hidden gem kind of uh, in South Downtown called Sidetrack Brewing. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. They have a really small facility. Very that small. I'm facility. terribly impressed with. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> their their quality is huge. Uh, they're one of the only two. Uh, they're excuse me. They're one of the only breweries that has two beer engines. Um, so Sean, if you're not familiar, a beer engine is a, a small device where you actually hand crank or hand pump a beer, uh, out of a, out of a keg. Um, and it gives it this really nice frothy, uh, dense foam at the top and it, it gives us a, a really great character. So I would encourage you to try that if, if you're in the area of, uh, I like that. Correct. Um, I, like, I like hand, th- hand done things. That's nice. yeah, yeah, artisanal, right? artisanal, yeah, artisanal. Yeah. There yeah. you artisanal. go. Artisanal. Yes. If you put the word artisanal on anything, you can charge double for it. Yeah, yes. that's usually how it works. <laughs> uh, so I like that. I need to start selling artisanal masks. There you go. <laughs> and uh, and then there's one kind of uh, in uh, just in the shadow of the uh, federal courthouse. There, uh, I think that's Third uh, or Fourth Street. Um, just uh, north of Lomas, um, and that's called Gravity Bound Brewing. 
Um, so they have been uh, kind of on a on a tear. They're they're one of the breweries that opened during the pandemic, um, and they are kind of one of the darling children uh, of of the of the hype hype beer guys uh, in New Mexico. So all the hype guys that love to follow the the trending breweries or uh, talk about Gravity Bound a lot. Uh, yeah, I have there. been there about half dozen times, and I think that you know the quality is great. Uh, I I don't know their story personally, but I think it's two brothers. And one of them worked at a yeast lab, so he should know a lot about a, uh, fermentation. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been there before. And, uh, yeah, I like I like the aesthetic. Yeah. I like where it is. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, man, I think, uh, you know, I I I don't know. I've I've always been a big fan of Canteen. I've always been a big fan of La Cumbre. I've always been uh, – I'm, I'm still sort of a fan of uh, Cactus. I don't know if they're even still around sure. up there in Berlio. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, some of the bigger guys, I you know, I don't I don't patient nearly as much. I think one I guess a couple more shout outs for me would be kind of three seven seven, which, you know, they sure. do pretty solid. I like the fact that they're down here in Los Lunas um, and uh, bombs away uh, veteran yeah. owned and probably one of the best pilsners I've tasted this side of the Atlantic. But, um, you know, yeah, that's either here nor there. That is Ange's recommendations, man. He is the beer <laughs> snob he is the beer but uh yeah no yeah yeah give these yeah give these local breweries uh some love um yeah. when you can get out yeah you know wearing a mask kind of sucks but you know generally speaking i don't think anyone's really enforcing you can rip cool. it off when you get to yeah you can rip it off when you get there yeah because so, yeah. when you you know you sit down with your beer and then and then there's no more COVID. <laughs> yeah yeah then it just disappears so uh <laughs> any other plugs brother you want to give us man before we can let you go no, I, I just uh, I, I'm really thankful for you having me on. I really appreciate it. I think that uh, what you're doing is great uh, in the sense of uh, I've I personally as a native New Mexican have always had pride in being from here. Uh, and I appreciate that you guys are trying to highlight the, the good things that happen in our state. Um, there's a lot of people that are kind of uh, use self-deprecating humor about New Mexico. And I do that from time to time, too. But we also have to realize that this is a gem. Uh, in the desert, there are many people that love to come here. Um, that that uh, come that and you've probably noticed them. If you go to Rio Doso or if you go to Red River, uh, there's not a New Mexican license plate in one of those towns. <laughs> right. So you know, people from out of state are coming here. Uh, they see the value, and I hope that a lot of our locals uh, can can get to that point too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we love New Mexico. It's all sick. Yeah, it's all. <laughs> <bro>. <laughs> I heard. Uh, I heard someone say Alamodi the other day for the first time in a long time, and I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't heard that since I was a kid. I was like, oh yeah, I remember. I used to say that as a kid. Yeah, you know. My wife still says it. It slips out from time to time. <laughs> yeah, it, it can't help it, man. Sorry. That in yellow. So yellow. yeah. So. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks again, man, for uh, joining us this evening, uh, this afternoon. Honestly, and that man, keep up the good work. And oh, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's it's beer thirty, definitely. Beer thirty. Mm. Here's the beer, Baca. What are we doing? Cheers. Good afternoon, everyone. Making sure it's afternoon. Um. Yeah. Well, we're, we're good. I'm, I was gonna ask you guys if you have anything to shill. Uh, I think you've been shilling. We're just shilling the the what it, the beer industry in New Mexico. I feel. Yeah. Like let's the, just leave the, it at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, this Sunday we have Burley Kane coming on a week Ooh. from today. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Burley. Uh, kind of a libertarian dude. He lives up to his name. Certainly, like. <laughs> rather burly. Rather burly. And then uh, this. He, he does have a brother. Does he have a brother? Do we know that or not? I don't know. I mean, I want. We, I get right. to know people on this show through you guys, so we'll yeah. ask him right away. Let's you know, he's burly, anyways. Yeah, Burley's bur That's what happens when I have one beer during this. Show. Yeah, Burley's yeah. my boy. You know, he's uh, uh, he is of the uh, Americans for Prosperity. He is the kind of state coordinator here in the state of New Mexico. He's trained me on using all these avenues of distribution to get the word of liberty in our time. So. It's going to be cool, uh, far-reaching conversation. Definitely find out what AFP is trying to do here in New Mexico. And, of course, you know, what the Coke Brother Network as a whole tries to do to kind of spread the message of liberty. That's going to be a pretty good conversation, in my opinion, because, you know, I haven't really talked to Berlin in a while. And it's, you know, he's always he's always energetic and optimistic. So I, I, I look forward to the conversation, at least. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, we have a lot of conservatives on. It's good to get some weirdo libertarians every now and then. I'd love to see if we can get some. I, I'd love if we get some Democrats on, but they seem to avoid us. We'll get there, though. We'll get there. Um, we'll get there one day. We'll we're going to get there because we're, we're getting, um, because we're trying to be fairer and fairer. We're a platform we for around. all. This is for all of New Mexico to rise, right? One of them is going to take. I'm just going to be super optimistic with you guys right now because it's great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, this, this coming Wednesday, I think, uh, if we don't have. Miss Mrs. Aaron Clements on, uh, mm-hmm. Professor Clements' wife from the New Mexico First Audits. Then I'm pretty sure we're going to have another uh, leader from that group coming on just to kind of give us an update for those of you that care about, um, you know, the totally the thing. legitimate uh, thing that happened. The most popular president of all time, <laughs> by the most popular, uh, the most Super. votes ever. So you know, you know how I got to do. Whatever. Tune in for that. So let's get an update and see what's going on. And we are on every Wednesday, every Sunday here, New Mexico Rising, broadcasting. Hopefully you come and check us out. Does anybody else have anything? Should I show I, no, I think that's it. box? Oh, no. no. Oh, oh no. Don't show the shiny box. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody yeah, still wants to like, cool. one viewer has been here the whole time, and they just might buy this box. Yeah. There you go. I have nothing else, guys. All right. I got got nothing else. Thanks for watching, everybody. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, Angela.